Have you ever wondered why it is that we do what we do and who we do it with? Then this is a podcast for you, an exploration of human beings through systemic psychology and Unani biotypes with Rodrigo Garcia Platas, Ross Everett, and Brian McElhaney. This is Biotypical. Do you want to know what, how a sanguine spends their, their showers, Brian? Tell me. What do you do? Guess what I was thinking of as I was taking a shower this morning. Uh, let's see. Well, I was thinking of all the, I mean, you're, you hit it spot on melancholics. Every argument I haven't won, I win on my future argument. I know exactly what to say that I'll never have. Uh, I'm basically thinking my way through talking to people in my life that I haven't or won't ever talk through. That's what I did. So is it like that? Not at all. <laughs> I was thinking how fun it would be if we met not uh, like an alien uh, species, civilization, and I was sent to learn how their physics work and, and what their, their physics would be completely different from ours in a logic that doesn't apply with us, but, but would give us an understanding of how the universe works. So I was thinking that, for example, in our physics, uh, if you want a, a, a material to blend with another one or, or have a chemical reaction with another one, the larger the surface, the better the, the process will happen. And I was thinking how amazing it, it would be if in another planet, it would be the absolute opposite. And I was trying to build a logic around it. Like if the surface is the smallest, it can be of contact for the chemical interaction, what the logic would be. And I was thinking maybe the materials over there kind of, kind, kind of uh, attract each other. So the smaller the surface, the more density of reaction that you have in, within that space because of the attraction. And it, it would make total logical sense Wow. Yeah. Did he lose you uh, too or I, just me? <laughs> well, I was there for a minute. I was like, oh, if I would, I was dreaming about if we met an alien species and they sort of told us about their way of being. I was like, I could see myself getting to that place easily in the shower. But then about the actual physics of the compounds and how it works, no fucking ever get there. That's smart um, sanguines for you, my friend. Like a really yeah, dumb yeah. idea and then trying to be smart about it. I was like, I was like, that's a lot of information executed in a very stupid reason. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to sanguine. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, Brian. I'm always looking into the logic of the dumbest things. Fix your microphone, Brian. I can't. Fuck. The only thing I can do, I'm going to try to leave the room and come back. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Here Let's do that. Okay. I'm pretty sure that's not a solution. We'll find out. He's a melancholic. I almost trust him about it. <laughs> <laughs> if I had said something like that, you would have, you would have laughed at me. What? I just uh, he... leave the room and come back and hope yeah. that it works. Yeah. <laughs> it's true because i'm like oh he must know something that he's not saying whereas i don't think you know many things that you don't say unless you're in a clubhouse room where i've never seen you quieter than waiting patiently in a clubhouse room which is really interesting i like listening i which blows my mind because i'm like rodrigo like are you not bored by this like doesn't this room suck and you're like no i love this room i'm fascinated by it <laughs> And I'm like, do you want because to leave? I'm, because, I'm, <laughs> because, because I'm not looking for content that I like or that uh -huh. I agree with. I, I just find it fascinating that people believe certain things. It, it, that frustrates me. Like as a, as a phlegmatic, that, that frustrates me so deeply. Yeah, but if you when, think about it, it's very similar to my shower experience. 
Like in my shower, I'm, I'm thinking of something extremely dumb that no one would ever believe and then trying to understand the mechanics behind it. Uh-huh. And that's exactly what I do with people. It's like, what? You believe what? Wow, this is so fucking interesting. How could anyone believe that? I and want to I, know how you got here. I feel it in my body. I get so frustrated. Why? I'm like, like in my mind, I'm like, this is why our country is the way it is. No one can get along. Look at your dumb ideas and how you guys are like getting so heated over it. None of this matters. Um, which I think is like the epitome of the analyzing phlegmatic mentality of what I just described is like, I I, I analyze and then get offended by it. (laughs) (laughs) I I think I'm more towards Rodrigo. I I kind of like watching it with like a morbid curiosity sometimes, even if it's like, yeah, you're in my access, my friend, of course we share this. Yeah. It's also like Ross, when you go see like shows and like someone's bombing on stage or something, I hate it. See, I, I love it. I'm just sort of like, Me too. I, I have friends who are like, oh God. And I'm like leaning in like, ooh, look at this. Like, look how <laughs> reacting here. Everyone's like so tense. I love it. This is like, so Ross is freaking out why, next to me. Ooh, why, like, why do you think you can do that? Um, maybe because I'm not so emotional. I'm, I'm not feeling the emotion of the awkwardness. I'm almost like intellectually processing. Oh, this is awkward. This is fascinating. This is interesting. I'm intrigued instead of actually feeling it. I'm not sure. Because of the axes that our biotypes are in, when you're in the choleric phlegmatic axis, everything Uh is very personal. Mm. So, so it like a cleric watching that would completely lose respect for the person who's doing that because it's mm-hmm. something that they don't want to experience and they don't even want to associate with. A phlegmatic goes like, oh my God, oh my God, this is so painful to watch. I feel like it's happening to me. And then in our access, what we're interested in is the, the philosophy behind what's happening or the mechanics behind what's happening. Mm. So you're probably looking at the situation and going like, why are people reacting like this? I guess this is not the right city for that joke. Or maybe this guy's just too nervous. Maybe this is his first time on stage. Look at that, he's bombing hard. And that person's not liking this, probably because of what they think about life and the life experiences that they've had. This, people, this person's not reading the room correctly. And, and as a sanguine, it's just like, are they going to fight? Like how, how, <laughs> how, how much of this can this person tolerate? This is fucking horrible. Is that guy going to punch him? This is fun. <laughs> it's almost like the, the melancholic sanguine access is an external observer, but the choleric phlegmatic access is like, we are, are, I mean, like almost like em- empathy, like we're putting ourselves or like, what would it be if, I was in that situation, like how, how we would feel it. Or is that just phlegmatics? And then cholerics would be a different way. Cholerics are exactly like that, but their reaction is too fast to realize what's happening with inside of them. That's why I said, like, I do not want to associate with this or understand the situation, but the pain is the same. They live yeah. in the same axis. And actually, this is a breakthrough. Like, I'm not ready to unfold this distinction fully because this is something that I realized very recently, like a couple of days ago. Uh, in a, in a, you, you heard me have this epiphany. Uh, we were in a clubhouse room and, and I said, holy shit, I just realized something. And then I muted myself because I, I wanted to think about it a little bit. And it's the, like all the information that we have so far about how, for example, melancholics and sanguines actually start the same way as an embryo and then they shift uh, that, that has opened up this new I, like inquiry path in my head about what the, the axes the really share and what their life experience is. And it's something that I've given a lot of thought. And that's why I just gave this brief explanation of the experience of someone bombing from the two axes. Uh, but that's brand new. So we're working on that. 
Yeah, I, I, because I can explain to people the difference of how a melancholic and a sanguine is formed, but I don't know that same answer regarding cholerics and phlegmatics. But I know that there, there has to be one. Philosophy and mechanics, what I, what I just explained. And, and I think you're right. It, it, we experience things more from an external viewpoint. Yeah. And like, it's, it's an in observation. That's what, like, whenever I meditate, I try and move into observation. So I don't, you know, create, take things as personally. And that's always what they say, like, observe your feelings, observe the sensations of what's coming up. And you look at it in much more of a neutral way because pain no longer becomes like, Oh my God, I'm in pain. It's like, Oh, I'm experiencing pressure in my belly. Like, Mm -hmm. like to, to almost disassociate the experience from the identity. I think that's a little bit of what happens to melancholics. I, I, I think even in the RGP grid, when we read melancholics and analyzers, we always say very little mom, very little dad. The, the, like it stems out of loneliness and lack of connection with the people around you. And then that, that gives them the freedom of just stepping back and analyzing the whole situation in a completely impersonal way. Like it's, it's not personal whatsoever. It's just about the philosophy of what's happening in order to understand that the goal is to understand that. But with a sanguine, it's about like, seeing the effect uh, in the experience of everybody mechanically participating in this and looking if that's something that you would you would like to replicate in a different place to create that experience again. It's not about the philosophical understanding, but like the learning of how to create a certain experience and knowing how to avoid it if it's horrible when you're in a, in a, not a different room of people or how to bring it again because it was really cool. And this is why, for example, when Brian was telling us about, about his friends that travel the world and have these amazing experiences, you told us that the guy's a sanguine, he has these amazing trips, and then he speaks about them in a way that pretty much takes you there because he's a sanguine. Yes. So his, he, he, his travels are a way of gathering experience that then he gets to replicate with the people that he cares about. And that's the most sanguine thing ever. And that makes us not be so present in the moment because of connection in the case of melancholics and because because of uh, just going through the experience and thinking that I might borrow this and take it somewhere else as a sanguine. Yeah. It's why I found like a lot of the sanguines in my life are the people that I'm like, I feel complete. I feel like I, I most of my friends are analyzing phlegmatics, but the, the sanguines that I do have, I feel so safe around them because I feel like all of a sudden they can pull me out of my head more than anyone else. I don't remember exactly how I explained it in Clubhouse, but the whole personality thing and this, the the me- metaphor that I did about drugs, I really liked it, but I yes. can't remember it properly. I remember some of it because I it stuck with me to this day. Like, uh, to this day, it's been three days. <laughs> to this day, it stuck with me. <laughs> Somehow, I still remember... Um, it makes a lot of sense to me, the idea of it becoming a drug that you need to, you build tolerance to. So you need more and more and more of it. Cause it's like that I, I brought it up yesterday. It's like my workaholism did not exist when I was younger. And now I have it like crazy. And I'm like, where did this come from? And I think it came from my doing mask that used to just make me look like I was kind of fun and get, it gave me some talents other melancholics didn't have. And now I'm just like obsessed with like ODing on that drug every day. And the irony is I get nothing done when I feel like that. I'm I'm like, okay, I gotta wake up and do everything. I kind of do a little bit of, I end up getting to the end of the day and I've done nothing. Whereas if I just calmly go through the day and I don't really 
I have one thing I'm kind of focusing on, I get a lot done, but it's like when I have the uh, overbearing nature of my, my doing mask ever present on me, like nothing happens. And it's like, what, that's what doesn't work about creating a balanced personality, even if it's a balanced personality out of this, this understanding of, I need this personality. I need this personality. This will make me look better. This will make me be approved and it will give me the admiration of other people and they will like me. Uh, and then we need to do it more and we need to do it more and we need to do it more. And then the, the amount that we're willing to do it is actually not beneficial to our biology and our biotype anymore. It becomes like a drug, literally. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that completely. What do you think, Ross? <laughs> Ross, we're talking about stuff. I know. I know. My energy is so low. I can't. I don't know why. I don't know if it was because we were up late with, with BYB last night or. Um, I went to bed at 4 a.m. yesterday. Yeah. I don't know. I, I didn't oversleep. I was in my bed with the lights off during your final little speech last night, Rodrigo. <laughs> I noticed. <laughs> he held it together nicely. Yeah. My, my energy has been, been low. Um, and I'm like, I'm like kind of a little in my head right now being like, am I trying really hard to make this a good podcast episode? And what would surrender? So I'm wondering like why you care so much about it. Like right now I'm like, it's fun. We're talking about stuff. Like the fact that it's stressing you out so much is really interesting to me. Well, so I got a message from somebody that like they were my senior when I played LP and they were my captain when I seniored LP, which is a bunch of inside baseball jargon regarding MITT and like the, the LP program that they do. But um, she said, I came across a word that I think is your word and the word is excellence. And I was like, yeah, that tracks. And the amount Humble of humble brag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I also like realize the amount of pressure that I put on myself to uphold a certain level of excellence in my mind. Like my standards are very high. And um, does that exist for you everywhere or just in certain projects? Well, clearly not in like my hair or the way that I dress, but like <laughs> it, it, when I care about something, right? Like when, when it's something that like I really care about or like is you know, I feel like my, my name or reputation is on it. So like when it, when I would make YouTube videos, like it was like, I, oh, I couldn't just make a YouTube video that was like a nothing video. Like it had to have a message. It had to have a purpose. Um, I, I had to, to that. yeah. Um, like when, when we're putting out a podcast, like I'd rather put out nothing than put out something that people were like, yeah, that was okay. Like, like, I love it. That's why I say like, oh my God, this episode is amazing because like, I'm feeling it in my body. There's a bunch of pride that's like swelling up in my <laughs> body. True. You've not said that in this episode. I have not because this episode is garbage. And if, if we're putting it out, it will, <laughs> that will be my risk. You know, <laughs> yeah, maybe like, we should talk about problematic. Leave it to a phlomatic to take a compliment and turn it around and make it something that creates pressure and anxiety. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, I mean, like, I knew it was a compliment. I was, like, honestly touched because, like, you know, that's, that's a really nice word to be associated with is excellence. Um, and I'd like to also, I know, like, my journey gets to be excellence and surrender, like, not putting pressure on it without lowering my my standards accepting what is does that make sense no no yeah i don't I know i think this episode is about you ross <laughs> i think you mean uh, like the anxiety of rodrigo of actually made this random and crazy and have no point in order to get you to feel like this because we need to talk to you about please uh, this is how, an intervention ross 
Oh this yeah, is... what's this look I'm like? Not sure Tell what me. we're talking to you about. Unfold, yeah. This Brian, an... go first with your letter. <laughs> this is an I intervention because we're concerned. We're concerned about how you can take compliments and turn them into pressure and anxiety. So that was a compliment, right? No. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I felt pressure and anxiety, so I thought it might have been a compliment. Um, here's here's the thing. There is a pattern with you. Do you want yeah. to go into it? A yeah. Bit? Let's do it. The, the better we do, the more pressure you have to keep it up and make sure that you we don't drop the ball. Yeah. Like how when we make money, I'm like. <laughs> The more money we make, the more concerned you are always. Yeah, because you, you know what I think it stems from? It's like the bigger we are, the harder we fall. And I think like at least in my professional life, like I thought I was smooth sailing off to, you know, like, oh, here we go. And then the fall hurt so badly. So I think it's like now whenever I feel like something's building up, I'm like, OK, the other shoe, the other shoe's going to drop. Let's like I know, be prepared. But that's but that's a psychological preemptive strike and it's extremely dangerous because then you're actually creating scenarios in your head constantly of us failing. And, and it's true that every time, every time we get paid uh, from RGP development, Ross is anxious about what's next and, and the structure and, and that we have a plan and that we know where we're going. And I appreciate that, but the timing of it is very revealing. <laughs> Yeah. I wonder, I feel like I see this pattern a lot in people. When I see people in my industry kind of get famous or success, I see something similar where it's like, they're kind of carefree until that moment they go up. And then it's like, I have to maintain this or else I go down. Like I, it's like yep. their life becomes way more formalized and structured and they lose a lot of the things that I think made them them because it's like, I've gone here now. So it's like, I can't go back down. So it's like they, they put a lot of, um, Lim I don't know, certain boundaries to their life and uh, get very nervous about how they present themselves from here on out. Well, I, I think I played it out like the complete cycle in my life. Like I started making money when I was 11. And I, again, I don't come from a rich family, but but I um, I did very well growing up uh, with the TV show and other things that I could do. And then I worked in the government for a while because I was sure that I was going to be a politician. And then I found transformational coaching and it, it just got better and better each year uh, up until my 35, 36, uh, like 35, 34, 35. And, but I could notice like from 28 that I became the, the, the owner of the largest psych psychology and coaching company in Latin America with centers in three cities and everything was going amazing. And I was working with huge politicians and CEOs of companies. And now I was on, on the radio and I was on national television. Uh, I did notice a little part of me saying like, it, it, it can't always be this good. Like every year has been better than the last one. You, there's no way you can keep this up. And I could see that conversation getting bigger and bigger. And I completely understood why I was doing it. Uh, I know that it's a psychological preemptive strike because we're always trying to get ready for the next painful thing so that that feels in control. Like we knew it, we understood it because human beings don't care about pain so much if they knew they were going to experience pain and they knew that this was very possible. So mm -hmm. 
it it becomes it becomes one of these uh, counterphobic patterns that you're so afraid of something that at some point the anxiety builds up so much that you're dying for it to just happen already because you've been getting ready for it for a long time and then when finally the mexican economy collapsed a couple of years ago and the last president was doing some dumb shit and, and everybody hated the new president and everybody was afraid of what was going to happen my company went under uh, i from from being like pretty wealthy for Mexican standards and and like having my my convertible Porsche and, and everything working beautifully. Um, I, I lost everything. Like I didn't have enough money to go to the corner store and buy food. Like it, it was crazy. Like I, I had no money. I owed hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, tens of thousands of, of dollars. No, hundreds. Yeah, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And for some weird reason, uh, that it took me a while to understand, even though I thought I could see the pattern coming, I was extremely comfortable within that, like extremely comfortable. And the reason I was comfortable is because I, I, I had been creating this scenario for a long time and it seemed unnatural to do well all of the time. And I, I almost enjoyed it. It felt like a, a pressure cooker that you just opened and it released all of the pressure. And, and then I got to rebuild from that point, and I appreciate that. But I, I always ask myself, would, I, would that have been necessary had I not been creating that scenario in my head for so long mm-hmm. and creating an anxiety about not, not the, like this trajectory not being possible to maintain? Do, you, do people, when they create that fear, actually bring it to them like do they actually subconsciously go like god this bubble's gonna burst i'm just gonna actually subconsciously make it burst like do you actually i mean obviously with you the government you know kind of collapsed and everything so that was not under your control but do people sometimes bring a collapse for themselves just to get it over for sure because dude i live in mexico do you have any idea the amount of economical collapses that i've been through in my life And they never hit saying. me. Usually, usually crisis, like financial crisis were really good for my business because when people get laid off and they get their money, they're thinking of how do I improve myself? How do I grow? How do I make sure that next time they want to, to make a cut in the, the amount of employees a company has, they don't think of me. So, so they were usually really good for me, but I was in the middle of this situation, not understanding myself and thinking that there was way too good to be true. And also shifting who I was and noticing that I became everybody's parent and that my employees were all my children and I had to solve all of their problems and going like, yeah, I, I cannot, I cannot carry on living like this. So that, that's, that's also why it felt like a pressure cooker that just released all of the pressure. Uh, but I know, like at this, I'm a hundred percent convinced of. If I didn't need, if, if I if I hadn't needed this situation to happen so bad in order to transform certain things in my life and to be right about my life not being able to just be better and better and better each time, maybe I wouldn't have to to have gone through that. Wow, that's uh, I, I, yeah, that's really interesting. And it is true, answering your question a little bit more like accurately, it is true and it's been proven that, that the observer affects the event. So yes, when you're convinced that something is going to happen, uh, wherever your attention is, your intention goes. Like whatever you're atten- paying attention to, you're giving your power to. And it sounds horrible when I explain it like that, but when you're paying attention only 
it's this cognitive dissonance. Like it's the blue Honda effect. You never realize how many blue Hondas are on the street until you buy one. And then you start seeing them on the street like crazy. And then Honda becomes an, a very important thing uh, in your life and in your intention and what, in what you're giving your energy to. So even if, if, even if it doesn't happen as you thought it would, you're paying so much attention to it that a very small example of it is massive enough for you to say that that is happening and then source it and create it in a way to be right about it. Right. So if you want to know my underlying beliefs about what we're up to, it's, uh, I don't think we're going to fail. I actually think we're going to be incredibly successful. Um, Who's we? You're included too, Brian. I think, okay. well, I, I you I'm know, kind I was, of just, I'm along for the ride. I'm not really it's, included. It's like, I'm like I, on your, so, so holding on to your tail coat. When I look at, I mean, you're a very important part of what we're doing, actually. Yes, you are, like, Brian. I, I think the, the podcast Thanks. was started as, as a nice, fun way to get this information out there. This is a format that I know we all enjoy. Um, but it, like it almost now seems to me like in my mind, I kind of have different ideas for the podcast versus the, you know, the, the trainings versus what we really want to do with biotypes and getting this information completely out there. And I think right now I'm at a bit of a frustration point because like, you know, just full disclosure, we've had a couple of meetings with, with, a, with some publicists. Right. Um, but we haven't found the right fit. And to me, that's frustrating because I'm like, don't you see how amazing this is? Like, don't you see the, the quality of this? Like, how are you not like... I, I have noticed that with you, Ross. You, yeah. When you think that you see something and someone else doesn't, you get very frustrated. Yeah. Whether it's like, someone's like, no, nah, I don't want to get into this cryptocurrency. You're like, well, why don't you trust me? Or if yeah. it's like, Cassidy doesn't want to come watch Borat 2 with us. And you're like, what? It's going to be the greatest event. Like, you just... <laughs> get very frustrated i changed things on my schedule yeah <laughs> i did um yeah so it's just like that's the that's the thing is like when i look at like what we're doing i'm like well i guess the the underlying message is like why aren't we there yet you know like it takes time i mean we're you know how many podcasts there are yeah i'm, I'm, I'm less worried about the podcast i'm actually very happy about the, the how the podcast about just like doing just uh, rgp development and, in terms of and, like on onboarding certain people and like getting this like like even like when we go into a clubhouse room and they're talking about bullshit and rodrigo hops up on the stage and like drops like the most magnificent knowledge bombs on them and then they just ignore it and continue on with their <laughs> bullshit conversation <laughs> Like I get you know, really frustrated and I get like, because like, and I guess there's a, this is the phlegmatic part of me that like wants to protect Rodrigo because like, or not even protect Rodrigo, but deliver on my, my promise to Rodrigo, which is like, you know, we will get you in front that what, what I said to him, like when we first started working is like, we'll get you in front of thousands of people. And I truly believe that, but I also feel the need to, I guess, deliver on that sooner rather than later. Um, so when I look at our, our trainings and while I'm happy with the numbers, you know, like my goal is a hundred plus people per intro book, uh, intro to biotypes. And until we're like living and operating there consistently, and it feels like this machine is running, like there's a part of me that says you can't rest Ross, like until, until the goal is made. And, you know, I know that that progress is not linear and like, you know, sometimes we have uh, X amount of people and sometimes we have like 20 less than that in the trainings, but to me, this information is so, is so golden. 
And I know that like, you know, if, if we look at the results, like based on results, how are we doing? Sometimes when the results are lower than they were previously, my mind goes to, I'm not doing enough or I'm not delivering. And, and throughout my life, I can tell you that the phrase like, are you delivering Ross is consistent. I need to make sure that I'm delivering. <laughs> End of sentence. I, I, Welcome I, to my world, Roz. That's how I feel every time I finish saying something and no one says anything. Yeah. I have things to say about it, but it's like, <clears throat> well, I think first of all, there's so much. It feels I, good I to say I feel pressure lifting off of my chest and like coming like out of my ears as as I say it, which is nice. So I didn't even good. know that I needed to say that, but there it is. You're venting, my friend. Yeah. At the same time, it's so interesting because I. I completely understand your experience and and my friend I've, I've been doing workshops for 15 years so I, I i've been through all of the anxiety about having too many people not having enough people like I, i've been on both ends i've i've been almost kicked out of one of my of my offices that i had for a few years in mexico city because we had so many people in the in the building that other people that worked there were starting to complain and um, and at the same time i've been in situations where i need to downsize my offices because there's just not enough people to pay for the rent of this whole space. So I, I completely understand both ends, but I think the big distinction is I am so used to people not getting me at the beginning and not understanding what I do. Dude, do, do you know how people react when you walk up to them and you go like, I'm a psychologist 90% of the time? They're afraid. Yeah, me too. <laughs> in Los no, Angeles. Actually, in Los Angeles, I guess. Yeah. But Well, if you say coach. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But but when you say therapist, most people start getting concerned and they go like, are you analyzing me? And, and I'm not crazy. Don't, don't tell me what you see or what do you see? And is there anything extremely wrong about me? And, and they start getting so afraid. And then if you say I'm a coach, people just go like, yeah, and you got certified because the coach degree came in your box of cereal because everyone's a, everyone's a coach now. So I'm so used to people being afraid of me or, or at the same time, not understanding what I do and maybe not even respecting what I do that I, I'm completely used to people saying like, yeah, but don't teach that. Like, for example, right now I'm, I'm developing the program for all the for all the marriage trainers within the Jewish Orthodox community. And the people that are asking for it only know of, of my reputation, but I, they've never experienced me. So when they when they asked my 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 Jewish coach partner that I'm doing this with, um, he he started explaining everything and they're like, yeah, we've heard about Rodrigo and people are extremely excited and he has saved a bunch of marriages within the community. And I, we think that that's amazing. Uh, but yeah, that whole thing about biotypes and, and personality, please do not include that in the program. Like just teach our trainers how to do the magic that Rodrigo does, but don't get in the weird shit that Rodrigo knows. And, and I'm like, Dude, that's a fundamental part of why I have the success that I have. And, and just because you don't understand it or, or have experienced it yet, you're afraid of it. It's, it's funny, but I, I've, I've been through it so many times that it's completely normal. So here's my question to you. When they say that, do you go, well, then I can't do it. Or do you say, no. okay, let me see if I could figure out a way to, to give you what you want in the way that you want it. I've been doing this for years. I, I like one of the things I teach facilitators when I when I teach them how to create this type of events for companies is they're the client. You get to give them exactly what they're looking for. But then I know what's going to happen is, is that they're not the going to get the results. They're not going to get the results exactly as they want it, uh, but they will get certain results. 
uh, way better than most of the things they're trying right now. And then after that, they're going to have to pay extra for biotypes when they realize how mind-blowing it is and the things that I can do and that I didn't teach their trainers because they asked me not to teach them. You have the biggest confidence. I almost said a different word, but, <laughs> but you, have, you, have the, you have the most confidence. It's, it's amazing. I've been doing this for a really long time. I know. I feel like, like you, Rodrigo, like are a diamond in the rough. Like, because like, I, I, like I, when I look at people, right, I really do rank them, I guess. Like I, I look at people <laughs> and there are so many trainers out there and there are some fine trainers and there are some fine psychologists, but honestly, like I wouldn't have pivoted my life in the way that I did if I didn't see you as like a, a, like, yes, you've done the work, but also I think you are incredibly naturally gifted. And like, you've even said this in the way that your brain works. Like you could fall asleep listening to a book and then wake up having fully integrated the book or the information from the book, like into your knowledge base, which is just like, you didn't learn that. That was a gift where like <laughs> the universe was like, we're going to give you this kind of brain. And you're like, oh, great. Whereas some people might have to stay up studying all night and read the same page six times in order to get the information into their brain. But I, I think, and everyone that reads energies or anything like that, they tell you you're special. They tell you you're unique, you're, you're different, you're here for a greater purpose. And I'm like, I subscribe to that. Like, like just my experience of you, having been in rooms with some of the best trainers, or I won't even call them the best trainers, but let's definitely call them the most successful trainers in the world, right? I'm like, oh, like you are as good, if not better than them in certain ways. So like it, it is a gift and, and to be able to have your confidence backing up your abilities almost feels easier than to have your confidence backing up some normal person's abilities. <laughs> it's like you, you gave an example of something that happened recently. And uh, like my ego wants me to not allow half of the things that you said without explaining them uh, be, because I don't like it when we make it sound like there's something extremely special about me because I honestly think there's not. And, and even when the therapist told me that when that therapist specialized in human design did her master's thesis on me, uh, uh, she literally said, and this is what got stuck in my head because this is what I could digest. Um, she said a lot of nice things, but the thing that really rang a bell for me because of my own beliefs about myself was when she said, you have two qualities to your brain and how you work that should have made you the stupidest human being ever. But the fact that you have them together and how you use them make you brilliant. So th that, what, that was what resonated with me. That's, that's I think, qualities? a very, sorry? What were those two qualities? Uh, they're called sponge brain and magic box in human design. So, so <laughs> Brian, I, <know. laughs> yeah, I, I, I just lit up. I was like, what's in the magic box? <laughs> so they're supposed to be brain. about this. Let, let me explain this, but it's really weird. And I'm, an, I'm not an expert in human design, not even close. Actually, Roz knows way more about this. I just remember everything this woman explained because she wrote a thesis about me through this technology. And what she was explaining is that I have more connections than, than usual, uh, but the way I have them is really controversial and really weird. Uh, and that 
we usually lose our sponge brain by the time we're six or seven. When we start creating beliefs, we lose our sponge brain because we start making distinctions and putting up walls in the information that we like. We start discriminating experiences and information, and then we stop absorbing everything. And she said, you never, you never lost your sponge brain, which is extremely interesting. That's why I can do what Bros was talking about. It's not like I can take any book and just go to bed and remember it. But, but if I'm in a plane where I'm not going to sleep very deeply, uh, I can just put on my headphones with a book and not pay attention to it. Just kind of go with my day and maybe fall asleep for a little while. And then I don't remember the book if someone asks me, but suddenly I'm working with someone and I come up with this brilliant idea of a connection of two concepts that really serves this human being. And I go like, I have no idea where that came from. And then suddenly that read the book. So I'll say, have you read this book? Because that's actually deeply explained in there. And I go like, no, but I completely understand that concept. So I guess... I guess some of that stuck in and that has to do with the sponge brain, according to this therapist that did the study with me. And she said that I have the ability to absorb all of the information around me, but in a really dumb way, because I don't classify it. I don't discriminate if it like that. This is why I, I took, I could take a dig, a deep dive into flat earth without it affecting my life. Uh, because I just observed the, 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 like the information or the experience without really classifying it or thinking if it's right or wrong. I, I always allow all of the information to marinate for a while. It, it, something will come out of it. And then she says that that would make me something, some, someone that would never know what to answer. And because I don't have the information classified in my head, it's like a library after an earthquake. And I think I know something about that, but I have no idea where that is. And but then I have the magic box thing. And the magic box thing is when you live in experience so much, uh, if you ask me about architecture, I, I could probably tell you a couple of things and that's it. But if you sit me on a table with architects towing, talking about architecture after listening to them, and this is why I'm so like quietly listening and, and interested. After listening to them, I suddenly realized that I know like 10 interesting things about that. And I could fool them into thinking that I'm an architect for the first like five hours of conversation until they realize that this is not what I do for a living. Uh, that's magic box. Like you, it's a dark box that you put your hand in and something relevant from your past comes up always that you maybe didn't remember and wouldn't have come up if they asked you about it. So she said, those two things, if you have them separately, you, you act like an extremely dumb human being. Uh, but when you have them together, uh, it seems like you're always relevant and brilliant about what they're talking about. But then because I know the reactions that I get from people constantly, like what Roz was saying about uh, Clubhouse and some of the spaces, like we, we walked into a room and the room had like, I don't know, 500 people. And they were all talking about uh, the difference between being smart, intelligent, and an intellectual. And they were all giving their opinions and explaining what they thought it was. And, and, and I was like enjoying the conversation and enjoying how confused they were about certain things because they, they believe that uh, intelligence came from Intel. So Intel is information. So intelligent must be, you have a lot of information. And, and, I, and I was like, I love etymology and that's not it. Like, I understand how you're breaking that down and how it makes sense to you, but that's not what it means. And every time I wanted to say something, they, they like, it was a mess and no one was listening. And I would just wait patiently. Like, I didn't have a problem. And then Ross very powerfully stepped in and he said, actually, Rodrigo has a very important thing to say and he knows what he's talking about. And they allowed me to speak for a minute. And, and I just 
said, like, I find this space fascinating. I love this discussion. And, and I would like to just give my two cents. Um, smart is, it has a Germanic origin and it means quick. When someone's smart, you're saying that they're quick. That's all it means. Like this person is quick with it. They're fast with their head. That's that's it. And then intelligent comes from Latin, intelligere. That actually means your ability to acquire information, read between lines, and, and execute from what you know. That's being intelligent. Uh, and then an intellectual is, some, is someone who gathers information in order to create a new philosophical meaning or a new practical application. Those are intellectuals. They're usually academics. That's what the words actually mean and then as soon as i finished talking someone went like yeah no but we're not talking about that about that i think intellectuals are people that have books in their house and, and i'm like fuck okay but i'm so used to people reacting like that, that that i just go like okay that was fun it was it was like for me when i look at that i see the state of our world <laughs> like it becomes it like there's so much more meaning to me in it where I'm like, everyone's arguing about this thing. The answer's here. And I keep coming back to like a Tony Robbins quote. And I, I don't know who, who initially said it, but he goes, information is everywhere, but people are starving for wisdom. And I think that especially now is, is truer rather than, than it ever has been before because information can be, co-opted presented differently we could see it across all of our mainstream news media networks and and you know they they can be pulling from the same information but presenting it differently but i think that one of the things that at least i see when i'm when you know like i i, I work on rodrigo's instagram account you know and the things that do well are these nuggets where people just go whoa and it's not even like it's truth, but it is wisdom. And it's not like you could take this and present it in a different way, but it's a, it's a paradigm shifting quote phrase. Like, what did you say? You said, I wrote it down last time. Guilt is the currency with which we pay the lack of action. Like just sitting with that phrase for a second, right? Sometimes you say things, Rodrigo, that I, I write down because I'm like, well, that's going up on the Instagram because you <laughs> won't catch it necessarily in passing on the first listen of the podcast, but to isolate the quote and then put it in a space surrounded by nothing else, they can't avoid it, you know? Um, but to hear you come in and, and answer their questions so thoroughly and to see them not care about the answer to the question that they supposedly had and instead choose to say my voice is more important i'm actually just in this room so that i can say what i think and i can feel important and that to me i just get frustrated like i just get like oh okay well maybe human being maybe this is just the phlegmatic in me who doesn't like to fight and who doesn't like confrontation but there are literally you know two other biotypes and personalities that love it. And predominantly in the United States, we have one of them that like enjoys conflict, gets off on it. It's part of their strive for life. Whereas for me, I'm like, no, no, no. Like we've, we've got the answer. <laughs> Move on to the next thing. <laughs> it's Stop not fighting. open to discussion anymore. Yeah. Something, does, it, does that sound kind of controlling to you, Rodrigo? I mean, there's something about that, Ross, where it's like, you know, these people, it's not like they started a, a rumor they're like we've got to know the answers please have an expert come in here and tell us these things they're there to have a conversation Rodrigo comes in and says stuff and they're like yeah we're not talking about that 
because you know they didn't ask for it they're not ready for whatever it shouldn't really bother in my opinion that that happened you know people you can't control how anyone reacts to you in the world but yet it like you really want people to think about things in a certain way when you think it's right does that make sense like that's what i'm, I'm hearing a little bit yeah it no does, I, that, that resonates it does make sense and at the same time what, what i was thinking of as as you were explaining that ross is I've been through that for like so many times for so long. And it was way worse, my friend, way worse. Like I was invited to do things like RGP development many times in the past, but I didn't think either I was ready or people were ready for what I wanted to teach. And, and I experienced it a lot. Like within a training room, uh, if you give me a group of five days, I, I can do magic. And, I, and I've been able to do that for the past 15 years. But um, I knew that outside that context, uh, outside that space of personal growth, it was challenging for people to listen to those concepts and those ideas. So it's like I've been through this so many times and wanting to say something and bring something forward that I think it's extremely valuable and that people just can't get and, and are not willing or ready to understand. I, I even went through it when, when I started uh, trying this outside of training rooms and I opened my YouTube channel. Um, I didn't have the views to, to become a partner or the, subscri the subscribers to become a partner, but they made me a partner and started paying me because someone in Google, the director of content in Google, in Google Latin America, this amazing Brazilian woman, fell in love with my content and the type of people that I was bringing into YouTube. That's how I found out that YouTube is 70% male consumption, like 70% of, of people that consume YouTube are males. And, and I was bringing like my viewers are like 70, 75% women. So I was bringing a lot of women to the platform and they really liked that. And this woman in particular really liked my content. But then I got fed up with it because once I became a partner, they were pressuring me to create more content and like do it every Wednesday, do it every Tuesday, like don't do it every time you think of it, do it like at a schedule that people can get used to. And I, I really disliked that. I was like, this is not my source of income. I do this for fun. This is a hobby. And, and then what started happening is people didn't really want to listen to what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk deeper subjects. Like I made really like, um, like home videos with my phone or my handy cam. This was 10 years ago and talking about falling in love and loneliness and being afraid and your ego and, and like walking through certain fears and why people cheat, what, what infidelity is about, uh, what's actually happened, what's love for men, what's love for women. And as I wanted to go deeper and deeper, people were just like, yeah, I didn't like that one. Can you talk about falling in love again? Uh, why am I alone? Uh, why do I miss my girlfriend so much? How do I make her love me again? And, and I was like, yeah, dude, like we're talking about way deeper things. And I, I ended up quitting. I, I ended up saying like, you know what? Forget about it. Because I, I won't do a hundred videos about falling in love and making your girlfriend fall back in love with you or your boyfriend come back to you. They also, they want, and like, fine, I'll just let myself get heated about it. Like, they want their answers. So heated about other said, people and what they want. <laughs> they, they want their answers fed back to them. And it's so interesting. And like, what's coming up for me is like, I have a friend of mine that like, um, he, he'll have these predicaments and he'll ask me for advice. And all he wants is the advice that he already thinks he should do in his head said back to him. And I, I feel that way about a lot of people is like, they're like, okay, I'm willing to do anything to stop my night terrors, except for yoga and meditation. So if it's yoga and meditation, throw that shit out. 
but it's like you are like like the thing that you don't want to do the place that you don't want to go is the place that you actually need to go you're like i'm avoiding this part of my life and now i have this symptom over here but i don't want to go look at this part of my life i just want to make a miracle thing to make this symptom go away so could you tell me something that has nothing to do with what this is really about and fix it for me but russ but russ that's human nature that's how everybody acts like after working with a hundred thousand people plus i can tell you we're all like that people get married and they like swear before their god and their religion like i'm gonna be faithful and i'm gonna love you and i'm gonna be here for you and their ego on the back of their head is saying well yeah as long as you don't make me feel guilty or you don't turn out to be one of those angry men like we have these beliefs about what's wrong with the world and what's wrong with ourselves and that's the limit like i want my dreams as long as you don't touch that pain it's like I've had, I've had patients that walk into, into therapy and tell me, I really want to find out how to relate and connect to my partner in a real way and enjoy my sexuality. But this has nothing to do with me being raped when I was little. And I don't even want to talk about that. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you want, you want the gift without paying the price. Like you want the evolution without actually paying the price. And we just saw this happening in Clubhouse the other day. Uh, this woman walked in and she said, my relationship's not working and, and I need to know why. And, and I, I don't know why I always fall for the same type of men and blah, blah, and blah, blah, blah. And I, I gave him a couple of like, we say mejoralitos, like a couple of ego aspirants uh, so, so that the, the, the person would be calm. And she was like, no, 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 I want to know. And I said, no, you don't. And she said, yes, I do. And I said, okay, let's talk about that. And then we opened the whole thing about dad. And I was like, yeah, this is your way of loving dad. This is a systemic loyalty. You look for those type of men because that's the way you can justify the way your dad has been all through his life. And the only way of carrying on loving him with that relationship being completely untouched is, is by getting like by getting men exactly like him so that you can validate who he is or by having a huge fight even in your head and your heart towards your dad because of who he was and realizing that that's not the only type of man that exists and that you don't need to love him like that you can love him the way he is knowing that what he does is horrible and and then her answer was like oh um well but i really like my dad so i guess i'll take another path yeah and in psychology, there's a word for that. Do you know what people like that are experiencing? Is it envy. not caught? Oh, envy, envy. Envy. Because psychologically, envy is wanting someone else's results without having to pay the prices that that person had to pay for those results. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, I can say, wow. I see that in my life in certain ways. Yeah. People we look up to. Because when you honor the prices that someone paid in order to create a result, what you don't have, what you don't have envy for them, what, what you have is like admiration because you're honoring the prices. But when you want the results without the prices, what you have is envy. Hmm. I can give you an example of this. I, I have this childhood friend. Uh, we're not really friends anymore, but he's, he is one of my dad's best friend's kid. So we kind of grew up seeing each other constantly, even though we, we weren't similar at all. We were so different. But, but it was interesting to, to spend time with them every six months when it happened. But then we ended up in the same school. Uh, and we ended up doing middle school together. And it was weird. We were in the same group of friends, but we, we, we weren't close. We even had a fight once playing soccer. Uh, like it, 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 it was just a weird relationship, but we were close in a sense. Uh, 
Then years went by. He, he went to a different high school, never heard of him again. I only knew through my dad and his friend that, that he moved to the States and he wanted to be an actor, things like that. And, but he, he wasn't like, he wasn't obviously successful at anything because I knew nothing of him. And, and people knew about me and about what I've done. So once, after probably 15 years of not talking to each other, this was only a few years ago, uh, he called me and he said, hey, Ro, how are you? Can we have a coffee? Like, I'd, I'd love to talk to you. And I was like, that, that's weird, but sure, why not? So I went to have coffee with him. And this is literally what he told me. He said, so I've been hearing that you're doing great and that you're making a lot of money and that you're extremely successful by doing this like psychological trainings that you do with people. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, well, I was thinking of this. Of course, I don't want to take your trainings because I mean, I don't need them. I've been through therapy so many times, Uh, but hey, I'm an actor. So why don't you teach me what you do so that I can do the trainings that you do? And I know you have a lot of work. I know you have a massive company, so you must need more trainers. So why don't you explain to me what you do? Then I can do it and just pay me whatever you pay yourself. And, And I'll take some work off of your hands so that you're not so pressured with your company. So I laughed for like, 10 seconds. And then I said, okay, how do I explain to this guy what he's trying to do? And I remember I looked at him and I said, okay, let's like, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question. I'm going to set a scenario for you. Um, and, and he said, okay, what? And I said, imagine that you're the, like one of the most successful actors ever. Like you've paid the prices, you've learned everything you need to learn. Uh, you've made your own craft out of it. And, and now you're someone who charges $20 million per movie because you've, you've won Oscars, you're amazing. And then one day, 15 years after never speaking to each other, I ask you for a coffee and I tell you, hey, I've been hearing that you're doing great and you're making a shitload of money with your movies and you're working like crazy doing two or three movies a year. And you say, yeah. And I go like, well, I mean, I don't want to learn how to act. That's boring. And I don't think I need it. Like acting is just like pretending. So everybody knows how to do that. So given that you have so much work, why don't you just throw one of those movies to me? I'll, I'll just do the acting. You'll explain what you would do and I'll get the $20 million. Uh, and like, that's, that, that, that's what a good friend would do. Uh, and I'll take some work off your hands. What do you think? And he just looked at me and he said, I would think that you're like the dumbest human being ever. And I said, exactly. And that was the end of the conversation. And I stood up and left. And I don't even know if he got the message, but... People are like that. It blows my mind when people call me to ask about the MITT training um, because they've, they've heard about it. And then they go, yeah, I don't think I need it because I've done therapy. And like, I, I really understand myself. And, and but, you know, I, I just, I'm glad that it worked for you, you know? And it's like, I feel it in my body. And I, I, I maybe these are like, you know, hashtag phlegmatic problems, but like it, like steam wants to come out of my ears and i love that you're able to just like let it roll off your back bro like you don't take it personally and for whatever and that's something that i guess i get to learn is like i know i know why do you think this analyzing phlegmatic is working with this sanguine and he's i know he's he's trying to you know get me places and doing shit well i'm sure so i'm um well these things that you're um worried about other people, you know, or that concern you with other people in terms of them, you know, having this uh, envy or whatever, or them not wanting to do the work. I'm sure you're doing the same thing in some part of your life 
that you're not seeing yet. I don't know what it is. Roe probably Ross, knows what it is. Out. I know he's right. Like, I, I, I was I thinking about this. It, I don't know what it is, but it I'm wouldn't sure bother me if I wasn't doing it. That's that's just like the the ground rule of any sort of transformation work is like, you know, the world's a mirror for you. And if it's bothering you, it's something that you are you're judging within yourself, man. Was, like so it, Barney was your coach. Barney yeah. The Before Roe, I went straight <laughs> to PBS. <laughs> he, he actually, I actually have a better example of what you were saying that I went through many times. Like enrolling people into the workshops because they heard of them, uh, of the basic, advanced, everything. And then them just telling me, well, given that we know each other and I kind of understand you, uh, I, I should probably go straight to advanced, right? Uh, maybe I should just skip basic or maybe I can go straight to LP because I'm, I'm obviously pretty developed in this. <laughs> I keep banging my head. If you guys have been hearing thuds, it's me banging my head against my microphone. <laughs> <laughs> but I just find it funny because I see it with compassion. It doesn't come from arrogance in them. It comes from confusion and ignorance. Yeah. And... and like there's a part of me that's like like because i guess when i got involved in this stuff like it was scary but i think i was honest with myself about what was coming up within me about like oh like i don't know what's going to go in here i don't want to be brainwashed i don't want to lose myself i'm afraid of what i might find in there i mean like for the longest time and ro you're going to find this hysterical i was so worried that i would discover that i was gay like that was going to be the big reveal <laughs> Well, um, speak to that. You're worried that. Wait, wait yeah. hold on. So, so let me let me Actually, wrap around because a lot of like. Wait, hold, I, on, hold on, wait, wait. Yeah, that means. So you, oh, I'm trying to. That yeah, means the possibility be, already exists inside of you, bouncing like, around your head. Yeah, and and I could already that it's true. <laughs> if you're well, no, here I could I could explain this, and I know a lot of people like I've said this before, and people are like, being gay isn't a bad thing, and I'm like, yeah, no, I know, but. It's you didn't the, say it as a bad thing. No, I didn't. But they they inter some people interpret it I'm that way. I'm just wondering how you but how you even thought that could I'll, be. The I'll case, tell you. I'll tell you because right. I've had um, I've had girlfriends that Malik, our patron, says it sounds silly, but I relate to that so much. So I've had girlfriends say, "I think you might be gay," and it wasn't ever a thought that crossed my mind. But the fear of not knowing myself, the fear of there being some huge reveal that I wasn't even aware of within myself, that would change who I saw myself as. So in the same way that I don't want to be gay, is the same way that someone that's gay doesn't want to be straight because all I really want to do is be my authentic self. So to feel like I have to be something that's different than the way that I truly feel that I would have some huge revelation regarding myself in a way that I didn't even know or want in my life. Like it was almost like some revelation was going to impose itself upon me. Um, so, uh, you know, that that was the underlying fear was I don't know myself, that there's going to be some huge curveball that's going to change everything. Yeah, I think I know what you mean, because I, I do actually understand it. And the truth is this, because I've thought about that, too. Like, what if I found out I was gay and I like I was denying that part of me my whole life? That's not what's going to happen with you, Ross. But what I assume is going to happen is there's going to be some revelation that will be just as big. But the thing that we can clearly just like, 
understand is that like that's a big shift that people have so often that like that's you can point to but the thing that probably will happen to you and to me is something that will upend our lives and the way we see ourselves that we don't even have a word for yet because we don't even know what it is my, my but, thought is like and here's where i'm at with it i like that theory but my thought was that it's actually a message of I get to trust myself because I've spent so much time delegating my knowledge of myself externally, which is why when a girlfriend says, I think you might be gay, instead of laughing and being like, I'm not gay, like I'm into women, it's maybe there's something that someone else knows more about me than I know about me. Maybe the external information that's coming in is going to change my perception of what I know internally. So instead of trusting what I know about myself, like yielding that power externally to someone else rather than owning what I know about myself. So that that's the message that I was getting is that I just get to trust and know myself rather than always thinking I might be wrong and someone else might be right. I hope Rodrigo is slowly working to breaking both of us open on this podcast. <laughs> I'm just a slight little way we're not seeing right now, and we'll have that revelation that there's so much to say about this. So, the first thing is, I think 90% of men at some point in their life have been asked if they're gay by a significant other at some point, and and that can create a little bit of confusion. Now, this is why it didn't create confusion for me first. Uh, because I actually took the Kingsley test really early on to know where I stood with my sexuality because there was something that was confusing to me. I remember I went to a party once. Uh, I, I it, it was... Uh, Someone was getting baptized, and my girlfriend at the time invited me there. So we went to to the to the baptism, and and in the party afterwards, there was this guy. Um, the, the, you guys know who David Beckham and Orlando Bloom are, right? Yes. Okay, I want you to imagine that you magically take David Beckham and Orlando Bloom and you smash them together to create a human being. This is exactly what this guy looked like. And I could not stop looking at him. And even my girlfriend got uncomfortable. It, it was my girlfriend's cousin, by the way. And, <laughs> and at some point, my girlfriend was like, why are you looking at my cousin so much? Like, what is it? And I literally said, he is so pretty, it's unfair to the rest of the men in the room. Like it's 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 not it's not fun to be standing by a guy that's that pretty, it, like it's not okay. And I can't stop looking at him. But it's like one of those times when you look at someone and you and you think like I don't like this about this person, and then you can't stop noticing it and looking at it. It it was the exact same thing, uh, but out of out of beauty. And my girlfriend didn't ask me if I was if I was gay, but she was like concerned, like what is this? And then as soon as I came home, I was I was in that therapeutic circle where where I was learning about biotypes and systemic psychology, and I was learning about sexology too. So that's how I talked to my sexologist friend, and I said, "Hey, I'm wondering about this." And she said, "Oh, just do the Kinsley test. The Kinsley test has three levels of being straight and being gay." Uh, I don't know if these are the words in English because I learned it in Spanish, but in Spanish is básico, preferente y fundamental. So like basic, uh, preferent and fundamental. So you can be basically straight, uh, 
preferably straight or fundamentally straight. And then the exact same thing on the opposite side. And when you're basically straight, which is what us sensitive men that are into psychology, that care about relationships, that care about people, we usually lie right there. Uh, because we're not against gay people. We understand the beauty in our own sex. We understand the sexual attraction with our own sex. We don't feel the sexual attraction, but we understand it. Like, I understand why someone would be attracted to that. I understand how that is beautiful. And when you have that, then you're basically straight and that's actually the place where you're not closer to being gay but furthest away because you actually understand it respect it and you don't have a problem with it but that's the place where you can have confusion because you have such a clear and and healthy understanding of being gay uh, of homosexuality in general that then it feels like maybe I could be because it this makes total sense and at the same time I've never been drawn to it maybe I could but the fact that you never were drawn to it and completely understand it that makes you basically straight which is the closest thing to gay in understanding and the furthest away from actually being it so that's that's the first thing that that you need to understand and there's another way more important thing when people ask you if you're gay especially if it's someone who is supposed to be in a relationship with you. Usually asking you if you're gay is the, the most painless explanation that they could found themselves because they were feeling hurt that you're not giving them enough attention or you're not proving that you're attracted to them enough. So when your partner, as, as a man, when your partner asks you if you're gay, they're actually telling you, I'm feeling hurt because I don't feel like I'm that important to you anymore. And the most painless explanation that I could find is that maybe you're not attracted to my gender and it's not personally about me because that would be that wouldn't be so painful because if not i would need to deal with the fact that i don't feel that you're attracted enough to me and and if That's you understand way, it that way sorry it's way easier than being like are you attracted to another woman because exactly then yeah it's way easier that do, don't you like me anymore it doesn't make it personal uh, it's like i don't have what you want and that would explain everything and i can still care for you in that way and not feel rejected so we, we do it out of that. And when you understand it that way, and this is why I have so much compassion and patience with human beings, like every time they say something like that, I'm looking for what underneath could have created this argument. And it's not that this person thinks that you're gay, it's that this person doesn't feel like you're attracted to them enough. And then once you realize that, you can feel their pain, you know what's happening in the relationship, and you completely forget about the being gay because it's, you know that it's as valid as someone telling you, I think that you're a psychopath because you got mad yesterday. Mm -hmm. because that's way better than saying maybe you got mad because I did some dumb shit that's why guys tend to call women crazy bitches that is correct yeah because it's instead of taking responsibility of like oh maybe I did something it's like nope I'm just going to write her off as being crazy it's easier to think that something's wrong about you that's making an experience in me than actually being responsible about who I'm being in the relationship and responsible of the fact that if I'm in a relationship with you, what hurts you should matter to me. Not because of the argument that you're building, but just because you're, you're experiencing pain. Even like this is one of the main things that I told my wife when we were going to get married. Even if I don't understand your pain, it matters because I love you. And if I love you, I love you with all of who you are. Even if it's confusion or, or fear or pain towards certain things that I don't understand, I'm here for you still, because that's what I believe love is. Uh, but when you don't see it that way, then you take it personally. And then their pain is because something's wrong with you. And that's how relationships melt down. This is actually turning into a really good episode. I just want you guys to know. <laughs> <laughs> 
the random episode is taking shape. I know. I, I have no sure. idea how to title it, but it's a it's a really good like I I feel like there's a lot of really valuable information in here. Malik, you wanna you wanna uh, we've got Malik, our our patron, who's at the level where he gets to come join the live recordings. Malik, you wanna come off of uh, uh, off of mute and ask a question? Is Ros gay? <laughs> <laughs> I now know that's more about you than it is about me, Ro. <laughs> Good one. Yeah. He's learning. Yeah. I didn't get to hear it earlier. Did y'all discuss the whole um, social anxiety thing? Because we I haven't gone into social anxiety at all, actually. Okay. okay. <laughs> we kind of started there and it shifted to like five different things. Who are you there with? That's my girlfriend. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Malik's girlfriend. I love you. want to talk a little bit about. The social anxiety. Want more Biotypical? Well, good news. There's a longer version of this episode available at patreon.com slash rgpdevelop. There, you'll also be able to find ways to get on the podcast yourself, ask questions, as well as watch a live taping remotely. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast and subscribing. Remember to rate this five stars wherever you're listening to it. And we'll see you next time.